This is The Rounds Table. Welcome back, Rounds Table listeners. Uh, this is one of your hosts, John Freilich, and today I'm joined by Justin Boyle, one of the other members of The Rounds Table, and we're really excited to present a couple of episodes, uh, or a couple of articles rather, rapid fire style. Uh, today's episode is, I guess, focused on stroke and uh, management of the same. So why don't we jump right in? Justin, what are you presenting today? Today, I'll be presenting on a paper recently published in Nedjam, and uh, actually this past June, about early versus later anticoagulation for stroke with atrial fibrillation. Okay, great. Hot off the press. So what was the research question here? So really, they wanted to conduct the study to see in patients that have post-ischemic stroke with atrial fibrillation to really figure out when to estimate the safety and efficacy of early initiation of a DOAC as compared with later guideline-based initiation. And they really used image-based selection criteria in order to really figure out and help answer this question. Okay, cool. So why did you think this was an important study? I think that this is an important study because this is a question that's sort of often encountered within internal medicine or within neurology. And anticoagulation with DOACs um, are really important to reduce the risk of ischemic stroke and systemic embolism in patients that do have atrial fibrillation. But the timing on when to initiate this isn't really known yet. And so really trying to figure out when we can balance initiating these medications with the risk of bleeding. Yeah, absolutely. I remember like a few years ago when I was on my stroke rotation and it was a big point of debate, like when is the right time to start anticoagulation for people that have an indication? So uh, sounds like a really good study. Uh, What was the design here? So it was an investigator-initiated open-label trial that was conducted at 103 sites across 15 countries, so in Europe, the Middle East, and in Asia. And essentially, the participants were randomly assigned in a one-to-one ratio to receiving early anticoagulation, which was essentially defined as within 48 hours after a minor or moderate stroke, or on day six or seven after a major stroke. And this was compared with later anticoagulation, so on day three or four after a minor stroke, six or seven after a moderate stroke, and 12, 13, or 14 days after a major stroke. Really within this trial, they were looking at a primary outcome that was a composite of recurrent ischemic stroke, systemic embolism, major extracranial bleeding, symptomatic intracranial hemorrhage, or vascular death within 30 days after randomization with a study. And with respect to secondary outcomes, uh, these really included components of the composite primary outcome at 90 and uh, 30 days, respectively. For their inclusion criteria, essentially participants were eligible if they had an ischemic stroke uh, and were uh, randomized within 48 hours, and if they had permanent, persistent, or paroxysmal non-valvular atrial fibrillation, or AFib that was diagnosed during their hospitalization for the stroke itself. And essentially, to the best of the knowledge of these investigators, all participants uh, with these strokes were hospitalized. And really, for exclusion criteria, um, any people that had some sort of uh, intraparenchymal hematoma uh, within the infarcted brain or intracerebral hemorrhage were really excluded from the study. So it sounds like not only are they considering like early versus late initiation, but they're also considering if it was a minor versus a major stroke, uh, which I think makes a lot of sense. Uh, who were the patients involved in the study? Like kind of what was that table one? So baseline demographic and clinical characteristics were quite similar in both treatment groups. The median age was 77 years and 915 participants or 45% of them were female. And the median NIHSS score or their stroke severity score was five at admission and three at randomization. And essentially the randomization with respect to balancing the severity of stroke, so minor, moderate, or severe um, or major was also balanced within each group. Unfortunately, however, ethnicity was not listed. And so the majority of the patients, even though the study was conducted across many different countries, were white. 
Okay, sounds good. Um, so why don't we just jump right into it? What was the main finding? What did they come up with? So the primary outcome, again, which was really looking at whether or not there was a composite of recurrent ischemic stroke, embolism, extracranial bleeding, or symptomatic intracranial hemorrhage within 30 days after randomization. With respect to this outcome, they found that the event occurred in 29 participants, or 2.9% in the early treatment group, and in 41 participants, or 4.1% in the later treatment group. And so the estimated odds ratio for this was 0.70. And the derived risk difference was minus 1.18 percentage points. And to note, death from non-vascular causes before 30 days um, occurred in 13 participants in early treatment and 11 participants in the later treatment group. Okay. And uh, then any kind of major secondary outcomes that you wanted to go over for these guys? So what I really wanted to highlight was major extracranial bleeding by 30 days after randomization occurred in three participants that received early DOAC initiation and five in the later treatment group. And any sort of intracranial hemorrhage at 30 days occurred in two participants within the early group and two participants in the later group. So it was equivalent in each group that they were looking at. Okay. So primary outcome occurred, I guess, less in those with the early treatment compared to the later treatment group. Is that kind of like the the main key finding here? What do you think? I I would say that's the main key finding. Um, Although with respect to the confidence interval, it did uh, cross one. And so um, that's something important to consider. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Well, you know, maybe along those lines, what are some of the limitations that you think with this study? So I think that the first thing to note is that there was an exclusion of persons who were already receiving therapeutic anticoagulation at baseline. And um, most of the individuals also had a low NIHSS score at randomization, indicating that there may have been a low burden of symptoms to begin with. Uh, Beyond that, um, the trial had limited statistical power to really explore subgroups, and so no conclusions can really be drawn when looking at these analyses. And like I referred to when describing the table one, there really wasn't uh, large ethnic group data and the race of the participants. And like I mentioned, because this population was conducted in predominantly European centers, there was a larger proportion of white participants. And so just considering that when you're trying to generalize this information. But beyond that, this trial was designed to estimate the treatment effects of early initiation and later initiation of DOAX. And the degree of precision is really just to estimate what would happen. And so no statistical hypothesis was really tested for superiority or in non-inferiority in this context. I saw that in the paper and that was kind of an interesting thing, like kind of not for hype, there was no sort of hypothesis generation and then like kind of confirming superiority or inferiority. I don't know that I've ever seen that in a paper before and I wasn't quite sure what to make of that, but uh, interesting. So uh, what do you think the take-home point is? So really, I think the take-home point is that the incident of composite stroke, embolism, hemorrhage, or death at 30 days was estimated to range from 2.8 percentage points to lower to 0.5 percentage points higher uh, based on the early use of DOAX compared with later use. So really what that means is that it may be beneficial, it may be not, but we really can't draw any conclusion from that. Yeah, okay. So that confidence interval, you know, maybe there's a signal for benefit, but yeah, I guess statistically speaking, uh, not borne out, but maybe like a clinically meaningful result, hard to say with just a single study. Uh, Is this going to change practice, do you think? I don't think it's necessarily practice changing. I mean, I think that it really highlights that this is an important question to sort of investigate and try to find really data around to support. Um, But I think personally, I would really follow guidelines from the European Stroke Organization and the American Heart Association and delay anticoagulation um, accordingly with what they've already established. And I know that there are other studies sort of coming down the pipeline to also sort of address this question. So I'll be curious to see what happens in that regard. Yeah, fair. I mean, uh, 
I'm not sure what it's like in Toronto, but sometimes in Calgary, patients with ischemic stroke somehow end up on the internal medicine service. And I think when I'm thinking about timing for initiating anticoagulation, I'll still be getting advice from the stroke experts because uh, uh, I think uh, that's still within their wheelhouse. I agree completely. Okay, great. Well, thanks a lot for that. This episode has been brought to you by Sault Ste. Marie Physician Recruitment and Retention Program, aka Sioux Med. Uh, there are multiple different elective opportunities for residents or medical students to spend time in the Sioux, as well as locum opportunities in general medicine, surgical specialties, anesthesia, OB, you name it. If you want to learn more, you can email me at mike.fralick at utoronto.ca or message me on Twitter. Why don't we move on to the next paper? And this is called Dual Antiplatelet Therapy versus Altaplase for Patients with Minor Non-Disabling Ischemic Stroke, the Aramis RCT by Chen et al., published in JAMA or JAMA uh, from June of this year as well. And uh, what was their research question? Here they wanted to know, is dual antiplatelet therapy non-inferior to IV thrombolysis among patients with minor non-disabling acute ischemic stroke? a great research question. Why is this important? Um, well, you know, some background, minor stroke is defined by that National Institutes of Health Stroke Scale, or NIHSS, as a score of less than or equal to five. And, and it does account for a large burden of ischemic stroke, upwards of 50% of acute ischemic strokes. We know that IV thrombolysis is recommended for patients with acute ischemic stroke presenting within that four and a half hour window. Um, but evidence in support of IV thrombolysis for minor stroke has been a bit more inconclusive. Um, there's data from some other trials, one called the PRISMS, uh, which was an RCT involving patients with minor stroke, and they did show that aspirin versus altaplase showed no significant difference at 90 days from a functional outcome perspective, and there were higher rates of ICH in the altaplase group. There was also a subgroup analysis among patients in the third international stroke trial with minor stroke, and they showed there, though, that there was maybe superiority of IV altaplase versus standard medical therapy. We know that dual antiplatelet P uh, is safe and efficacious for patients with minor stroke when started, you know, 12 to 24 hours after symptom onset, and that's from kind of the point in the chance trials. But I guess the question here is like, is it possible that dual antiplatelet therapy could have similar efficacy to altaplase for minor strokes based on the available evidence? And this study is trying to look at that. That's really cool. Um, what was their design? So this was another multi-center randomized open label blinded endpoint assessment, and it was a non-inferior trial design. Uh, 38 hospitals all in China were included. Uh, patient participants were 18 years of age or older with acute stroke with an NIHSS of five or less. They had to have imaging confirmed stroke and present within four and a half hours of symptom onset. Patients were excluded for a few different reasons, including if they had a significant pre-stroke disability, if they had evidence of a cardioembolic cause of stroke, because you know then of course we think about different treatments um, and some other items. Now, when it came to the randomization, uh, it was one-to-one -one randomized of dual antiplatelet therapy versus IV altaplase. Those in the altaplase arm then got guideline-based antiplatelet treatment 24 hours after thrombolysis. And for the dual antiplatelet group, they were given a loading dose of clopidogrel, 300 milligrams, then 75 milligrams for 12 plus or minus two days. And for the aspirin, the dose was 100 milligram load and then 100 milligrams daily for 12 days. Then after that 12 to kind of 14 day period, they were put on a single or dual antiplatelet therapy based on guidelines until 90 days. And so follow-up was at the 90 day mark. 
The primary outcome here was excellent functional outcomes at 90 days defined as a modified ranking score of zero to one. So one is being able to, you know, return to your pre-stroke level of activity. There are a bunch of secondary outcomes that they considered and for safety as expected, they looked at things like ICH or any significant bleeding event. And uh, ICH was defined as bleeding on a CT brain that was associated with neurologic deterioration. As we mentioned, this was a non-inferiority trial. The primary analysis was on all patients, but um, they did some kind of different analyses on those, including those who might have been lost to follow-up or who withdrew consent. So there's kind of like a selected analysis that they had done, but then they also did sort of a per-protocol and an as-treated analysis too. Alrighty. And what did their patients look like? So 835 patients were screened from October 2018 to April 2022, and 760 were randomized, of whom 60 were excluded initially as they didn't meet the inclusion criteria, and then a subsequent 15 were excluded uh, due to no randomization outcome. I don't know what that actually means. Some other patients were excluded because, you know, consent was withdrawn or there were other clinical reasons. So the full analysis was done on 719 patients. And for these patients, the median age was 64, 31% were women. Uh, the median NIHSS was two with the range kind of one to three. Uh, median time from stroke onset was 182 minutes. And there were slightly higher rates of diabetes and hypertension in the um, dual antiplatelet arm. I see. And what results did they find? So that outcome of what percentage of patients had sort of an excellent functional outcome or an MRS score of zero or one at 90 days was 93.8% in the dual antiplatelet group compared with 91.4% in the alteplase arm. And this met criteria for non-inferiority. Similar results were seen in the per protocol and in the as treated analysis. When it came to the safety data, within the dual antiplatelet group, there was one patient who had an ICH and six who had other bleeding events, compared with the alteplase group where three had an ICH and 19 had any other bleeding event. Oh, wow. And did you find any limitations? Um, so, you know, I guess one of the considerations is just around like kind of uh, generalizability to patient populations outside of China, because, you know, everyone was of uh, patients within China. The other considerations is like as part of the protocol, stroke was defined in part by CT or MRI findings. And of course, like CT itself is easy to get emergently, but it could very well be normal for smaller minor strokes. Uh, and it was unclear from the supplementary data how many patients then had MR emergently, which is not as always, uh, always as easy to get to then sort of define that minor stroke criteria on imaging, you know, even in big centers, it can be hard to get MR, let alone if it's sort of in a smaller center. So whether you could then replicate the study design um, in a more kind of like community-based hospital could be harder to say. You know, they did have a lot of dropouts and it was a bit hard to keep track of which patients were in the different analyses. Uh, but ultimately, the full analyses, then the PER protocol, as well as the as-treated analyses seem to have similar results. Interesting. And so then really, what's our take-home point from this? Well, you know, for patients with minor stroke, it looks like dual antiplatelet therapy is non-inferior to alteplase, and there are lower rates of bleeding complication. And for you, is this practice changing? You know, I think this is probably more in line with some of the current guidelines. And, and I guess this study really provides further evidence to support current practice. And I think the guidelines might have been updated just prior to this study being released. 
but I think it does have pretty big implications from a healthcare resource perspective. If you might be able to get away with not using TPA, because of course, like you give TPA and then the patients need 24 hours of monitoring in the ICU for bleeding complications, and that can be pretty resource intensive. Um, so it will just be interesting to know, you know, how this might impact practice, but, but I think it's a pretty cool study. And, and I think it kind of fits that dual antiplatelet therapy is non-inferior to all the plays. I mean, I feel like DAPT is where it's at. Yeah, it could be. I adapt for everything. <laughs> okay, well, um, I guess that brings us to an end for our stroke chat today. Let's move on to the good stuff. Was there anything that caught your eye? Well, I am a very big Taylor Swift fan, and recently uh, she has re-released or re-recorded one of her albums, Speak Now, which is uh, very nostalgic for me, just from being like a teenager. And so um, I've been listening to that, and it's just been very nice. What about you? That. That's amazing. Now, it's a little controversial though, right? Because she's got this like massive tour. And is it true that like no Canadian cities were picked? Oh, yeah, not yet. I, we're holding out hope, but okay. <laughs> unfortunately, no. <laughs> now, are you going to fly somewhere to like, you know, somewhere in the States to go see a show? Like, are you going to pay a thousand bucks or whatever it is? Um, I, I, I wish I could. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Well, you know, my good stuff, unrelated to Taylor Swift, uh, just something kind of cool. So Tour de France, it's probably over by the time of this release, but uh, a Canadian, Michael Woods, won the ninth stage of the Tour de France, which is a pretty big deal. And like the physical abilities of these individuals is just amazing. So a uh, nice shout out to Michael Woods for uh, winning that stage. It's quite impressive. That sounds incredibly impressive. All right, Justin. Well, thank you very much for uh, taking part today. All the best, and uh, we'll chat with you soon. For sure. The Rounds Table is hosted online at healthydebate.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Rounds Table. Thanks to our audio editors, Emilio Garcia Flores and Arjun Sharma. Also, thanks to Amol Verma, founder of The Rounds Table, and Kieran Quinn, the previous director. We'd also like to give a big thanks to Seema Marwaha, Editor-in-Chief at Healthy Debate, for all the support.